I brought Pete Smith on. He's the editor of SI Browns Digest, and he's joining us here on the Western Hotline to help me weed through all of the storylines, the narratives, the talking points, and, and trying to get to a, a place where maybe we have a better understanding of what went wrong in Cleveland for Odell Beckham Jr., what's next for both the player and the team. So, Pete, uh, good afternoon to you, my friend. Thanks, as always, for, for being available for me on a Saturday. Uh, looking forward to our, our convo today. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a fun week. <laughs> fun is a certainly certainly a good way to, uh, I guess, I guess frame what has been going, especially if like you know, your the 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 success of the team has been a little tough this year, four and four. Not has not been the start of the season that Browns fans were hoping for. Then you lose to the Steelers, who I think everyone had sort of just moved on from as being like a team that could legitimately beat you. Yet they beat the Bills somehow. The Steelers are just I don't know what's going on with them. That they've beaten some good teams, they've lost to some bad teams. It's just it's been a, we- a weird year for them. But losing to the Steelers last week, Pete, felt like the start of something that was going to be dramatic. I, I guess I didn't think it would be as dramatic as Odell Beckham no longer playing for the football team, but like that loss to the Steelers had a ripple effect, it feels. Well, I mean, beyond the fact that the offense didn't play particularly well and there were a number of drops and mental errors, I mean, Beckham had one catch for six yards, and I think that was sort of a tipping point for him. Uh, there's been some frustration building, but it wasn't, some like camp dividing, you know, big team thing because a lot of players after this whole thing happened were basically confused and saying, I wish I had known this was going on. In fact, that's what Miles Garrett said in his media available. He, he just, they didn't know. Uh, so, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, this is sort of like an unrealized opportunity for the Browns and, and, you know, the potential for something good isn't there, but at the same time, it's, it's, difficult to miss something that really hasn't been there since basically the Dallas Cowboys game of last season. Um, it just hasn't been effective. Uh, Odell Beckham hasn't been healthy along with Baker Mayfield, along with a number of other players. And, uh, you know, I don't think this is that big of a deal for the Browns. Uh, they're sort of handling this in a way that's not punitive for them. It's just a matter of trying to, Eliminate the possibility, or at least as much of it as possible, that he ends up on a team that they're going to have to play mm. uh, the remainder of the season, and that's sort of where this thing's at. They have they're officially going to release him on Monday. They'll be you know he'll get through the waivers process for that, and the Browns otherwise are focused on Cincinnati. And the, the question for them is going to be, what does that look like? How can they play well? Because if they go out and win and they beat the Bengals. Everybody's going to suddenly be going, oh, I guess they're fine. And if they lose, you know, it's going to be, well, what else can sort of go wrong? Where, where's this thing headed? Pete, I, I, I've got to ask you, and I know we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. I'm sure we'll, we'll get back into Odell Beckham here a little bit. I, but you, you mentioned a point there about Maker Mayfield and the injury. And, and I'm thinking about in a, in a year so important for both Baker and the organization and trying to settle on what they believe is fair compensation for a long-term concept, contract for Baker Mayfield. Like, could you have predicted a worse situation for a team and a player 
trying to come to terms with what the future looks like in such an important year, having the injury, which is really crippling any ability for a fair evaluation of who Baker is. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's the job of the organization to take the whole of the performance, not just the most recent year or, or what's happening right now and trying to decide whether or not Baker Mayfield is the franchise quarterback for the future. But like, could you have like maybe put together, is there a worst is there something worse than what we've seen like possible for this team in this evaluation process or or is this about as just about as bad as it gets when you're a team trying to figure out what to do there with the with the quarterback uh i mean the start of the season is hardly ideal they're four and four but at the same time they're they're four and four and other than the buffalo bills basically everybody's around four and four and, and this conference just is sort of hanging around and letting teams hang around so like you mentioned the pittsburgh steelers you know, I think you and I would both agree they don't look like a particularly good team, but they beat the Browns and they beat the and they beat the Bills, and the league is sort of letting them hang around. And now they're you know potentially in the playoff race at four and three. Uh, that's just sort of the story of the conference. But as far as Baker Mayfield goes, it's sort of a, a situation where you know I think the Browns have largely made their judgment on Baker Mayfield. They really like Baker Mayfield. They just don't love him to the tune of the Josh Allen contract, and I don't necessarily think that's a problem and Josh Allen is being paid to be the offense he's not only the the, the passing game he's also in a large part the running game and that's not because they don't hand the ball off but because he runs the ball himself so if you take him out of that offense in the same way that you take a Lamar Jackson out of the out of the Ravens offense what is left I mean Stefan Diggs is certainly a huge player but that team is fundamentally different whereas Baker Mayfield is certainly important in what the Browns are doing but if you take him out, as as happened in the game where they played the Denver Broncos, Case Keenum's clearly not as talented, but the offense doesn't necessarily fundamentally change. They just do different variations of the same thing. So as much as the injury is a disappointment, I think the Browns largely know what they have. I think the bigger problem the Browns are facing is that because there's so much pressure and expectations, largely they're putting on themselves, mm-hmm. I think this is a team full of players who are – pressing too hard and you see guys who are trying to make hero plays and Baker Mayfield's a good example of that I think Odell Beckham was a good example of that I think Jarvis Landry's a good good example of that I think guys like Denzel Ward and some of these other guys on defense are examples of that not only are they trying to you know potentially shore up lucrative contracts but they really want to win that badly and I think some of the problems the Browns have faced is guys are doing so much the Arizona Cardinals game for Baker Mayfield sort of the perfect example of this He's got one good shoulder, and he's holding on to the ball, looking aimless around the pocket, getting hit because he's trying to make plays that he shouldn't be trying to make. And that's, on one hand, you could say that's sort of selfish, but it's just how bad he wants to do it. And reality is I think everybody sort of needs to let go a little bit, breathe, let the game play out a certain way, and they can't do that. And I think, you know, if I was to relate it to something, I don't golf, but for people who do – if you get to a certain level where you're pretty good at it and you expect to be good at it and it's not working and it's no longer fun, you're just grinding to a point where you're driving yourself mad, I think there's there's that sort of effect where you're just trying to too hard to do it, and that's part of the reason at times the Browns don't look at they're having fun. In the same way that you know that guy who's playing on, playing on the weekends golfing gets to a point where he's ready to throw his clubs and give it up the game, <laughs> uh, that's sort of where the Browns are in, sort of, in some ways. 
So, Pete, I, I guess uh, the follow-up question I want to ask you, based on your answer there about you know players pressing, and it's across the board. It's Baker, it's Denzel Ward, it's the most important players, frankly, for this franchise and their success. And if they're going to be successful, all of them, in their own way, need to be successful. And I and I think about what Sean McDermott has been able to do and the culture that he's been able to build here. I don't think anyone's looking at Kevin Stefanski and saying like this isn't a good coach from a scheme from a you know, an X's and O's perspective, but the culture I've always felt was an overused, frankly, misunderstood term when trying to talk about team building. But I think it was the first thing that Sean McDermott committed to doing in his restructuring, his rebuilding of this organization, was rebuilding the culture into a winning culture. And you see Stefanski get 11 wins last year. But your conversation there that you just had with me about all these players pressing across the board, like wh- when does this fall on the coach, the coaching staff, and their inability to get them playing and get them in a mindset, in a mind frame that makes them successful? Because the one area I really admire about the Bills, at least in the Sean McDermott era, is it doesn't matter. Emmanuel Sanders, perfect example, right? A player's 34 years old most people would have agreed was on the back end, maybe has a year left of his, but like, what's he really, he's been a revelation. Like he has looked like the player we saw five years ago. Um, I, I just wonder like how much of this falls on the coach for not getting his team in, in, in a, in a mental space of success and breeding that success. Like how much do you want to maybe put on the coaching staff here? Well, I mean, ultimately he's going to be responsible for the, for the record. And, and the product. I mean, that's just how it goes. But um, I don't know how much really gets put on the coach. And, and that, that, I based that on the fact that that's what the players are saying. Mm. They have been pretty straight up. I mean, Kevin Stefanski will come out every game and say, it's it's my fault. I need to do a better job. I need to coach better, all this stuff. And then the, you know, the players will come out and say, look, this is on us. We've got to get this right. We're doing, th- you know, A, B, and C. And they'll cite very specific examples of things where they need to get it right. And what sort of stands out to me, and I, and I think the Kansas City Chiefs have a similar issue going on with it with their mm. their team, Patrick Mahomes, I, I, I think is the ultimate example of guys trying too hard. Yep. Uh, but I think when you look at the Browns, you go, you look at the guys who like Baker Mayfield and some of these other guys, and they're not playing well. But the weird thing about the Browns that sort of I think supports what I'm trying to say is the young guys, for the most part, are playing pretty well. Like, you know, obviously a guy like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoe mm-hmm. hurt right now, but he has been phenomenal when he's been on the field. Greg Newsom is terrific on the field. Greedy Williams coming back this year after missing all of last year. Guys who aren't sort of worried about that next contract or the, the next thing, they're, they're still worried about being proving that they're good are the guys who are really excelling. And the guys who are sort of already there – are the ones that are grinding it out a little bit more. So, you know, at some point, all of this is going to fall on coaching one way or the other. That's just how the, that's just how the business works. But I think for so much of this, I I, was, I thought the mini buy might provide a little perspective for them. I'm hoping that the, those guys watch the Chiefs in the in that Giants game because I think that they could should be able to relate to a lot of what was happening to the Chiefs in the game. They ultimately won, but looked awful doing it that if they can just sort of find a way to let go and not try to, you know, score 20 in one play or get five plays back that they've missed and just sort of embrace right now and and focus on the immediate play, I think they'll be fine. 
the, the thing with the Browns, especially on offense, is when they've started well, they've stayed well. I think the defense, in a large way, has done the same thing. It's when things start to go bad that they sort of let themselves get to the trap and they make bad things worse. Pete Smith here of SI Browns Digest joining me on the Wester Hotline. So I want to bring this back to a little bit of the Baker Mayfield and the Odell Beckham breakdown of like just the on-field I don't know, issues is a weird word because basically everything I've read, it seems like there was really no issues. Like these are two players that liked each other, that worked hard to try to make it right. This wasn't about Odell Beckham giving up and not trying um, and, and you know, shunning Baker Mayfield for two years off the field um, and not meeting him in the offseason to do workouts together to try to get this right. I, I was watching some film breakdowns of, of literally watching him fundamentally change the way he ran certain routes to try to fit what Baker wanted to see and how and some of his skill set. Um, where did this whole thing go wrong in your mind, Pete? And like at the end of the day, I, I I guess I'm not really looking for you to like give me a percentage of who's to blame here, but it's hard for me to look at, you know, at, at the situation that 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 broke that that essentially broke down between Baker and Odell Beckham. And I guess I wonder, like, is this a system that really can allow and uh, uh, allow a number one wide receiver to flourish? Um, because I just don't have any evidence of that yet. In in a Stefanski type system, in that Kubiak system, we're seeing a little bit of Justin Jefferson, and we we know what happened with Stephon Diggs when he got away from it. But like, do you believe this system is conducive to the skill set of a legitimate? number one wide receiver? Well, you sort of hit on it with that. That's the big question is because fundamentally the philosophy of this offense is you take what the defense is giving you. And if they're putting extra attention on a guy like Odell Beckham or in the the case of the Browns, David Njoku is another example of a guy who's playing really well and you think, oh, they should find a way to get him more touches than they should. But if the defense is taking away certain guys, they just go into – they go with the flow. So – that Steelers game that Beckham got the one catch for six yards and obviously was a boiling point for him, they found guys that were open. They just either dropped balls or fumbled or, or made other mental mistakes. They have always done that, and I think that's a, a philosophical issue that not everybody's going to fit with. You know, you get fans who are unhappy that the Browns aren't targeting Odell Beckham 16 times, but that's never been their mindset if they – if they're going to target a guy, you know, 16 times to get 100 yards, their thought process is, why can't I just spread 16 targets throughout the team and get 150 yards? And that is potentially a difficult selling point for, you know, free agents or guys who are established. But I think the Browns' thought process on this may be to ultimately get guys who are, you know, get drafted guys and sort of build them. Now, the, the one exception is Jarvis Landry. This is sort of like a fan expectation in some ways because Odell Beckham's star and sort of his presence always had this opportunity cost element within, whereas every pass, even if you made the right one, going to somewhere else like Austin Hooper or David Njoku or Donovan Peoples-Jones, it's always a question of, well, why? what would have happened if they have gone to Odell Beckham? Why didn't they go to El- Odell Beckham? That's never been a thing with Jarvis Landry on this team. Yeah, when the Browns just point. moved the ball and were effective, it was just always great. Moving the ball, getting to a point and scoring points. And I don't know if that's a that's, that's ever a discussion that, that is really going to fit the team. And I don't think the Browns were ever in a situation where they were sort of like avoiding him or anything along those lines. It's just if it fits, they're going to go with it. If it doesn't, 
they're not going to force it. And, you know, Odell Beckham is a volume guy. He's always been a volume guy. He wants touches. He wants to be engaged. And not a bad thing for him. He believes he can win. He believes he can give you what's necessary to win. That's not a fault. That's something you want in your guys. But when it when it boils over and it leads to sort of the passive-aggressive, coordinated attack he sort of launched, then there's a point where you can't have it anymore. And, yeah. I, and, and I think the team's been really honest about that. The players really like Odell Beckham. I think Baker Mayfield really likes Odell Beckham. Uh, but there's a point where they, the Browns basically made the decision, look, it's about the 53 guys, it's not about one. That's never going to change. And if Odell Beckham can't fit, then they're going to move on, and that's ultimately where they're at. I think they genuinely do wish the best for Beckham, but they have to focus on themselves. Pete Smith, uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, on here on the Western Hotline with me. Um, I just, it, I guess where I want to, I, I want to tread carefully on how I word this question because I don't want it to sound loaded. The narrative about Odell Beckham, the person and the player, it, I've been on sort of a crusade about it because I, I. Although what you said there about this coordinated attack, it's very obvious. Listen, Odell Beckham likely could have gone out in front of this and said, listen, like, my dad loves me. He just wants what's best for me. But, like, he his views do not represent my thoughts. And, like, maybe that just curtails everything. But I, I feel like I'm not naive enough, Pete, to think if he just came out and said that his dad shouldn't have done that, that everything is fixed, right? Like, I, how can anybody be that naive? And And I also think that for the most part, he gets – he gets labeled a diva and a distraction, and I think for the most part, it's it's kind of unfair. I think he gets a lot of the Cam Newton syndrome, which is a player that is not Tom Brady, <laughs> like like basically doesn't walk the corporate NFL line, and he has likes to have fun, and he likes to show people that he has fun, and he's a showman, and that ultimately plays against how the the media and how NFL fans look at him. When you being around and covering this team and knowing the fan base the way that you do, do you believe that that is a fair, that he's a bad teammate, that he's a distraction, that he's selfish? Do you believe all those those buzzwords that people love to throw around about Odell Beckham are factual and is true or or you could totally tell me they're shades of gray, and I th- I won't be a cop out. I think that's probably the more nuanced answer here. But like, where where where's your take on the overall premise that that he's a bad teammate? He's not a bad teammate. He's a, he's been a great teammate. And there's a lot of players who have sort of, you know, use social media to sort of get that out there. Donovan Peoples Jones, Anthony Schwartz have talked about the fact that, you know, both he and Jarvis Landry took took those guys under their wing immediately as soon as they were drafted and were working with them and trying to help them out. And there's a lot of players who really, I mean, Miles Garrett, you know, is another guy who really likes Odell Beckham. Like these are, there's, like I said, there's not camps and there's not a sense that he was a bad guy or a bad teammate. He worked really hard. I mean, you know, you can sort of criticize anybody for, you know, posting images of themselves training or whatever, there's always like a this leading thought of well, why are you telling me you're doing this when uh, you know I, I shouldn't have to think about it. But he did work hard. He got ahead. He got back ahead of schedule. He was obviously went down to Austin to work with Baker Mayfield. You know there was never any indication there was any problem there. It, it maybe Odell Beckham's problem is he doesn't have a, a great way to express himself. Um, it's difficult 
you, you, you could maybe have convinced me that the dad was sort of a lone wolf on this thing until LeBron tweeted out. Yeah, you know, right. That was sort of the end right. of that. And this all happened on the, the day of the trade deadline. But he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad teammate. He's just done some things that make him, I, I think, he's, he's loaded in general and just how people take him. And I think when he does something, it tends to blow up bigger than it really is. And I think a lot of this has been far more salacious on the outside in part of his own doing. Mm-hmm. But the, the team has never really responded that way. They're not – there's no rift. There's no divide. There's no, oh, woe is us, you know, what is going to happen. They're, you know, they're all adults. They're all professionals. And I think that's a big reason the Browns have sort of targeted those type of people is they don't want guys who are going to yeah. sort of fall apart. Uh, and their their focus is on the Bengals, and, and Odell Beckham's focus is on you know what what's next for him. I don't think there's bad blood. I don't think there's a lingering issue. I don't know that he and Baker are going to be in communication anytime soon, but um, I, I don't think there's going to be this bad blood lingering with this. I think both sides will move on, and it'll be largely no not that big of a deal again because it really wasn't there in the first place, at least this year. It's funny, every team that has a distraction, for whatever reason, the following week they play Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. We're, we're focused on Cincinnati. They always seem to be the, uh, the, the scapegoat for the team dealing with distraction. Pete, last thing I, I have for you here, um, how important is this Cincinnati Bengals game considering you know, the impressive win that they, they were able to, to, to pull off two weeks ago against the Baltimore Ravens? Then they just, I, I don't know, I don't know how to characterize that game against the Jets. I mean, that, that is a real head-scratcher considering the game they came off of the week prior. Where do you stand with this Bengals team, and, and just how important of a matchup is this game this weekend? It's an important game because they're four and four, and it's an important game because it's the next game. It, you know that 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 was going to happen regardless. But the Bengals are a competitive team; they're five and three, so there's this element of you've got to win to sort of insert yourself back in the race. It, obviously, it changes how the team is viewed, so it's important from that aspect. It's important from the standpoint of uh, obviously, if, if Bacon play, Mayfield plays terribly, there's going to immediately be this talk of, well, you know, is this his own doing, this type of stuff. So it's important, but it, it, it's, if, if they go out and win, it's great. If they go out and lose, then the next game is going to be super important. It's just sort of how this goes. Prisoner of the moment type thing. But that doesn't change the fact that it's a big game for this team. It's a big game for this coaching staff. It's a big game for the for the sort of attitude of this yeah. team and the mentality of this team going forward. Pete, thank you so much, man, for all your time today. Uh, tell the folks uh, where they can find your work, uh, find you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Uh, you can find my work at uh, si.com slash NFL slash Browns. Uh, and you can check out the podcast I host, which is Full Pete's Take, along with Nicole Chatham. Uh, yeah, but you can hit us up at any of those things, and uh, that'd be great. Awesome. Pete, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the game this Sunday. And uh, we'll be, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll be chatting again here soon at some point. Yeah, sounds good. You know, remember, we're, we're getting together for the AFC Championship. We're Absolutely right. I, I, have, I have not forgotten. Don't you worry. <laughs>